you guys had a great weekend last week. Uh, there was a great baptismal service. Mike is at our Irvine campus, and he's uh, giving that same message. When Mike first came to Mariners, he worked as a college pastor, and he had, there's a whole bunch of college kids coming. He wanted to do a, a great baptism service. So he came up with the idea of building a baptismal in a service. And so there was a, kind of an amphitheater that had big blocks of like staging material, like if the stage. So he built a baptismal with these big uh, stage blocks, and then he put Visqueen in it. And he forgot how heavy water is. And so he had, he put it in, you know, taped it together with duct tape. And then, you know, had a whole room full of college people giving this very dramatic message, as Mike is, right at the critical moment. You hear this, and all of a sudden, I mean, hundreds of gallons of water just went, whoosh, baptized everybody in the room. (laughs) Thousands of dollars of damage. So what a great time. So, uh, but today, uh, we're going to have a healing service, and a communion service. And I think for some of you, you think healing service, don't you have to have big hair and a southern accent to, to do that? <clears throat> and uh, the question is, you know, you might have some questions about a healing service, but more important, I think what you want to ask today is, does God want to heal you? Is God willing to heal you? Is there something today where you would say, you know, if God could touch my life, I would love to be healed spiritually? Maybe there's a a darkness in your life, a need for forgiveness, and you think, if God could sweep in and forgive me, make me clean and new, maybe there is a sense of just never being able to connect with God. If he could heal me spiritually, I'd, I'd want that. Or emotionally, maybe there's been something that's happened in your life that just created kind of a a shift deep inside of you. And there's anger right below the surface and something hits and you go or there's a loneliness that never goes away and you think God if if you could touch my heart in that loneliness I I would love to be healed in that way maybe there's a relationship brokenness of where you've done what you could but it, it just doesn't see there is a damaged relationship and you go I'd love if you would heal that God or or physical healing there's an ailment or something and you go God if you would heal that and so the question I want to ask you is, do you believe that God wants to heal you? I know if I said, do you think God can heal you? Most all of you would say, well, sure, God can heal me. But that's not the question. The question is, does God want to heal you? When the church just began, story of the first churches in Acts, Peter and John are walking by this guy who's lame. He's begging for money. They said, we don't have any money, but what we have we'll give you. They grab his hands. They say, stand up and walk. He's healed. They go to the Temple Mount. And because this guy's healed, I mean, literally thousands of people turn and they give their life to Jesus after Peter gives this message. And what the early church understood, and they prayed this prayer, this first recorded prayer of the first church. They said, God, you are sovereign. You know, when it looked like Jesus was dying on the cross and the bad guys were winning, you were in control. They said, God, give us great boldness in the face of opposition. And then here was the third point of their prayer. God, would you extend your hand and do signs and wonders and the miraculous? And here's what they thought. The miracles that you do are healing in our life. It's not just for us. Would you do miracles so that our friends and our neighbors and the people at our workplace would see your miraculous power to touch people's lives so that your name would be lifted up? Do you believe that Jesus would want to make his name great by healing you? Or do you think, no, I think he can and he might, but not for me, not for me. 
And that's what I want us to look at. If you've got, uh, when you came in, you got an outline, I'd like you to pull it out. If you got a Bible, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers will come down, raise your hand. They'll make sure and give you a Bible because we launched you to track it, follow it, see what God's word says. But the question, you know, kind of at the core of this, because I want to give you the context of a parable to see God's radical grace. But I'm going to bring you up to speed on what happened before. Here's the story of uh, radical grace. That, you know, the thinking is that God's like us. We're exclusive. We exclude people. And so they ask a question. Someone asks him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? You know, I mean, really, how many people get in? Isn't there limited space in heaven so only a few get in? And Jesus reverses the question and says, it's not about just a few people getting in. There's plenty of room in heaven. He says, I'm here right in front of you. Are you going to respond to me? Are you going to believe that the invitation is for you today? And that's a question that you need to answer. Are you going to believe today that communion, the banquet table, is for you? That healing is for you? That Jesus wants to meet you? Now, in that passage, there's the word narrow. He says, you know, you've got to go through the narrow gate, which is always a scandal to people because Jesus said, I'm the one door, the one way, you know, and so people go, you know, that just seems so narrow and there's a scandal of narrowness. Although we don't seem very scandalized by narrowness when we drive on the freeway and you have to live in your lines. You know, you go, I just want to go on the, I don't want to be restricted by the lines. Well, you know, people would die. And then you don't say to the pilot when you're in a jet, hey, put it down anywhere you want. You're not scandalized by the fact that he has to land on a narrow runway. And the same way, what Jesus is saying, there is a specific way to God and the way to have a relationship with God is me. Many people, Revelation says that ultimately when all the believers are gathered at the end of time, there will be so many of us, you won't even be able to count. Oh, I don't think you heard that. Let me say it again. At the end of time, there'll be so many people that are believers. It says you won't even be able to count them. Okay, so you see, all right. That was a little bit of pity thrown my way. But the point is, you know, we, we, there will be a great number of people. So it isn't that there's just a few spaces in heaven. There's a few places in front of Jesus, a few healing. That's not the question. The question is, will you believe? So he answers a question, and so in Luke 14, what we're going to see now is there's a couple of things that happened just before the parable. I want you to bring them up to speed. So Luke 14, verses 1 through 4, here's uh, how it starts, and uh, there's a sick person that's present. It said, on the Sabbath day, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisee and experts in the law, is it lawful? To heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking a hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Eight times in the gospel accounts, these four things come together. Jesus, Sabbath day, Pharisees, and a sick person. And every time Jesus heals them and the Pharisees go ballistic. In fact, this is why they start to plot to kill him. This is in the last week of Jesus' life. And here's the Pharisees' mindset. We're good people. And because we're good people, God loves us because we follow the law, we follow the rules, we've earned his love. And Jesus is saying to these people, he goes, it is not about your goodness, you haven't earned anything. You go, you cannot earn your way to God, no one's good except for God. Now when Jesus heals, you know what's amazing? The Pharisees don't go, whoa, look at Jesus can heal. They don't respond 
in awe going, wow, look at his miraculous power. Look at how good and loving he is. Instead, they become angry because they're saying, you broke the Sabbath instead of saying, you are a loving person and you love to heal. And Jesus says, your problem is you don't understand God's love. You're spiritually bankrupt. God doesn't love you because you're good. Then the second thing that happens is he turns to the guests. And you can see this on your outline. I'm just giving you the context, remember? He turns to the guests and he says, you know, you exclude people. And the way you exclude people is when you came to this dinner, you all fought for the seat of honor. First century, Jesus' time, there was always a seat of honor at the table. And they were all pushing to have that seat of honor. Just like if it was a birthday party, you want to sit next to the person who is it's their birthday. And he goes, you pushed and shoved to have the seat of honor. And you think that you know, that you get into heaven because people think you're so wonderful. Your public persona, your, the image that you project, that's, you know, God is lucky to have you because you've got this great image. He goes, let's get the facts straight. Every one of you are broken. He's saying, no one is worthy. God does not accept us because of our public image that we can, you know, you might be able to fool me. You might be able to fool other people in this room. You can't fool God. God's not impressed with the image that you project. And then the third thing is he turns to the host and he says to the host, he's at a dinner party eating dinner. He says, and you, you know, you just invited people to make yourself look good. And in the first century, it was all about who you could have at your dinner party to make you look good. Because after all, as Christians, don't we need a movie star to substantiate that we're okay? You know, or a pro athlete? Because when a pro athlete becomes a Christian, then we can go, see? But, you know, if just a poor person comes and asks, you know, or we, you know, you become a follower, I become a follower, that's no big deal. But, uh, you know, and that's, if you had a dinner party, you had five Hollywood stars, or you had the five best athletes today, or you had five congressmen or congresswomen, you know, would you brag about that? Or if you had five poor people, you know, which would you brag about? Which made you look better? And so Jesus confronts them and he says, look at I don't accept people. You accept people based on what they can do for you. You love people for what they can do for you. But God's not like that. So now he tells them the parable where we see God's radical grace. Look at what it says in uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 15. Then one of those present... Uh, one of those at the table with him heard this. There was a little tension. So he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. You know, but, you know, at the end, this is a term they understood. This is the great messianic banquet. And he's going, blessed are those who get to sit at God's table. Because he thinks it's just the good Jewish people, the orthodox Jewish people, the people that, you know, have the right status, that are the right kind of people. And Jesus is going to show you that the people that make it to the banquet of God are the ones that no one else would invite. They're the broken and they are the forgotten. The Jewish people at the time forgot that in Isaiah, Joel, all of the prophets said that the great banquet of God will be for all nations, all people, every ethnic group, every language. And they thought it was just for good Jewish people. So here's the parable now that shows us God's radical grace. So he says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those people who had been invited. So now what you see in this story is two invitations. First century, this would be very common. I'm going to throw a great banquet. Here, you're invited. You would respond, yes or no. Then based on how many of you that would say would be coming, the table would be set, food would be bought, there would be a place at the table for you. When the food was ready on the day that was prescribed, 
a second invitation would go out saying, all the food's ready, it's done. Now come and join the banquet. They still do this in Texas. My wife is from Texas. I go back there every year in the summertime. And they say, there's going to be a great barbecue. So they're going to go, we're going to do a great barbecue next Saturday. You want to come? And everybody responds that's going to come. And they get the food. They get it ready. They set a huge table up for everybody that says yes. And then you go. I go, what time are we going to eat? And they go, well, you go to the barbecue at about 11. But you better not be hungry if you show up at 11 because you're not going to eat till like 5. But what they've done is they've got a smoker and they're smoking meat. And then they've got a pit and they're cooking things. You know the difference between a smoker and a pit? Well, I do. And it's a big deal to these people. And so you got to look at the smoke. Oh, yeah, that's a good firebox there. And oh, I can see how that smoke goes through. And you got to appreciate all that. The kind of wood they're cooking with. And then a pit is a different kind of thing. And they cook a different way. But anyway, you do that. And so you sit around, talk about life until, you know, about 4.30. And then a second invitation goes out and says, food's ready. And then everybody gathers up. That's the point. So... People have said yes. The invitation, now all, there's a place at the table and food set for these people. What will happen? So it looks at this, and this is the surprise. It said, uh, he says, come for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go see it. Nobody buys a field and then goes sees it. And buying property was a very long process, longer than buying a house today. You didn't just say, oh, I'll come to your party, you know, next Saturday or in five days. And then you go, whoop, just bought a, didn't happen. Very humiliating to the guests. Then another person says, uh, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try it out. Like, be like saying, I bought a used truck and I haven't driven it. I need to go drive. Again, very humiliating. I set a place for you. You told me you'd come. Then the third one, even more. Still another said, I just got married. <laughs> I can't come. Didn't even know this woman a week ago. Woo, just met her, all hot and bothered. Woo, got married. I, you know, got married. You know, nobody plans a wedding, you know, in a week like that. And the servant came back and reported this to the master. Now, what will happen? Uh, so it says, then the owner of the house came, became very angry, and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets, into the alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Here's what happened. The first surprise is that there were a group of people that were invited and excluded themselves. It wasn't that, the, you know, they chose not to come. So what? God is clearly the host in this. What will God do? Here he's humiliated, invited people. They said yes. They've got a table set for him, and now they said no. What will God do? We have a statement you hear all the time. Hurt people hurt people. When somebody hurts us, we retaliate. We get even. We let them have it. Is that what God will do? No incredibly, you see the radical grace of God. When he's humiliated and rejected, he only extends a greater invitation to invite more. And he invites those who are forgotten 
and left out. He says, go to the streets and the alleys. And the people listening to this parable would have known what Jesus was saying. He's saying, you go to the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. These were the people that the Jews thought would never be invited to any party. The tax collectors, the sinners, the broken, unworthy Jewish people that knew they'd never make it into the kingdom of God. He says, you invite them. And then the second group of people go to the roads, the country lane. And they knew what he meant. That was to the excluded other ethnic groups, to people who spoke different language. The Bible summarized that groups as Gentiles, but it was the people the Jews thought would never be included. And he says, you include them. And it's incredible because these are people, if you invited them to your party, it would be humiliating if they showed up. And if they rejected, it would be even more humiliating. You wouldn't want poor, blind, lame, the unworthy, the sinners, the tax collectors. It would be humiliating to you. And here's the point. God's radical grace is that he is so loving, he's willing to be humiliated, inviting broken people, people who can't get it together. He was willing to be humiliated by inviting me to his party. He was willing to be humiliated by inviting you. Because you know what the truth is about you and me? We do not make God look good. We don't. We don't show up and because we're so good and we have it so together and we've got so much status. I mean, the truth is, we know the truth about ourselves. We are broken. We need a second chance. We need love. We need forgiveness. We don't make God look good. And you know what he says? That's why you have to compel them. He says to his servant, you compel them to come because really broken people, they have to be convinced that they're invited. I have a friend that I tried so hard to get to hear just this message. He's a guy at a coffee shop. I'm always inviting him to church. He's far from God. He is, he is a world-class sinner. And I said to him, I go, you've just, you, please come. And he goes, you know, Ken, I just can't. I go, come and sit next to me. He goes, if I sat next to you, I guarantee you people would talk. People know who I am in the community, and I have done really bad things. And I said to him, look at I've thought really bad things. And the Bible says, it's just as bad. You need to come. But he thinks, no, I got to pull it together. I got I to gotta be good for a while. I got to try harder. And if I'm a little good, you know, a little gooder for a while, if I'm better, if I do things, then I can show up at church. And it's that, and I can't get him to come. And I keep compelling him because he thinks there isn't room at God's table for him. God invites those who have nothing to offer in return. Look at the back of your outline. Look at what it says. Jesus invites all. Will you read this uh, passage with me? Let's fill God's house with God's word. Read it together with me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Here's the great invitation of Jesus. You come to me. He goes, you need a relationship with God. You need forgiveness. You need healing. You come to me. I am one who loves to forgive. I am one who loves to heal. I will rescue and I will save. How is it possible? How is it possible for us who are broken people to be invited to the table of God because Jesus gave his life to pay so that you have a seat at his table at the banquet of God? That's what Jesus did when he was with his disciples when he introduced communion or the Lord's table. He said to them, it's recorded later in Luke, he said, and he took bread, Jesus took bread, and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus said, you're going to forget 
that I, God, and who was God, came down to this earth to be with you. You're going to think you were alone and forgotten, that I don't love. You're going to feel isolated and by yourself in this world. You're going to forget that I loved you so much that I became like you to be with you, to show you what God looked like. So he took a piece of bread and he said, as real as this piece of bread is, you can touch and feel. He says, that's as real as the truth, that I came here to be with you, to love you. You're going to forget how much I love you. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup is a picture of my blood which was given for you, shed for you so for the forgiveness of sins. You're going to forget that I died to forgive your sins. So you're going to try to be good. You're going to try to earn it. You're going to try to deserve it. You're going to think it's about what you do, but it's never what you do. You're not good. Jesus says, but I'm good. And so he says, you do this in remembrance of me for the forgiveness of sins. And for some of you, the healing that you need today will begin at the communion table. If you need forgiveness, if you need to understand that truth that Jesus died in your place for your sins, it's a powerful way for you to live out this illustration that when Jesus came, he came for me. When he died, he died in my place for my sins. And I'm trusting in that. And that becomes a place where you experience the healing of forgiveness and love and a second chance. For others of you, Communion is a place for you to reconnect. You knew that. You gave your life to Jesus at one point. But you've gone places that you said you'd never go. You've done things that you said and promised you would never do. But you've done them. And you are so afraid. And timidly you're saying, God, I don't know. And would you really? And can I believe you love me? And the communion table is a place for you to reconnect with the powerful truth. It never was about what I did. I cannot do one more thing to be more loving to God. I can't do anything <clears throat> to make myself less loving to God. God loves me completely just the way that I am. And for some of us, it's a place to remind ourselves to do just what the passage says, to remind ourselves one more time that this is God's love for us. It never was about what we did. We remember Jesus came for me. Jesus died for me. But they also... A second invitation that we're going to extend today is the invitation to become and to be prayed for for healing. You know, lots of people have different views or thoughts about healing, but really the Bible's very clear on what you should do when you want to be prayed for for healing. On your outline, the passage in James is there. If you've got a Bible, you can look at it. But look at how elegant and simple and beautiful the New Testament teaches us about what does it mean to be prayed for for healing says, are any of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. If you need to be prayed for for healing spiritually, relationally, emotionally, physically, Bible simply says, you come to the elders, the pastors. They're going to be right down the front in a moment. We're going to have the elders, pastors, leaders that'll be here. And your step of faith is to just come out and to say, I need to be prayed for for healing. You just come forward in your willingness. That's what the Bible asks of you. And then the elders, the pastors are going to be down front. And they come in faith. Look at what it says for them to do. It says you should call for the elders. 
to pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. When you come up, what they'll do is they'll anoint you with oil. That's a picture always in the New Testament of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is the one that heals. No one here has a gift of healing. But God is a God who heals. Jesus loves to heal. We see it in the story. And so the oil is, it in no way minimizes the power and the wonder of the medical community. There's a place for that. God uses that to heal. But if your need is for healing, God says you come to the elders. They'll anoint you with oil, symbol of God's presence. And then what they'll do is they'll ask you, what is it that you need to be prayed for? What do you need from Jesus today? Then you just tell them what it is, the physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever it is you need to be prayed for. And then they will ask you, is there anything that you need to confess? Confession is a powerful spiritual discipline. And they're not looking for a detailed list of everything you've done wrong. But what it is, is often there is an area of your life that has become a spiritual stronghold. A lie that you've believed anger in your heart, resentment, bitterness, anger at God. And you know it's a huge barrier and an obstacle for you really to be surrendered before God. And so they're going to give you that opportunity to just say, is there something in your life, maybe something that you're doing that you know is wrong? And it gives you a chance to confess it. And, and it says those sins, that's your opportunity to experience forgiveness and to find healing. So they'll ask you, how can I pray for you? Anything you need to confess? And then here's the promise. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The miracle is that God will heal. Doesn't mean he heals the way we want to every time. Sometimes he heals exactly the way we pray. Sometimes he heals in a different way and over a longer process. Sometimes, you know, we don't understand God's timing, but God's healing is guaranteed. It doesn't even all happen in this life, but because of Jesus, we know that ultimately we're all, all healed. But this world and in this life, that's not our hope. And so we just pray a prayer, a bold prayer of saying, God, will you heal? And then here's, you know, the big surprise in the whole story is Jesus tells a story to people and he says, you know, the issue is timing. It's not how much power I've got. It's not how many places in heaven. It's will you respond right now? And incredibly, there were people right in front of Jesus that didn't respond, didn't believe. And the surprise is that today there are still some people who hold on to their excuses and don't come to Jesus. People who will say, well, I'm not sure. Or I've got to be better. I've got to earn my way. I've got to do what God, you know, I've got to find my way. And so you hold on to those excuses of I've got to be a better person. But you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Other people, you know, just want to be a part of themselves. You say, well, I'll, I'll come, but I, but I want to manage my image and only hold on to the things that I can manage. But I'm not going to tell about my true self, my real self. And really, the invitation to the table of God, Jesus paid the uh, price so that you have a place at the banquet table of God. And it's simply saying, I need this. God, will you help me? And you say, I don't know how to bring all of me. I think it's just the willingness to step out Come to the communion table and say, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your strength. I need to hold on to the fact this is the place that spiritual healing begins. For others of you, it's willing to step out and to say, I need somebody to pray for me and do just what it says in James. So in a minute, it's going to get kind of messy in here because 
we're going to just take, we got 20 minutes left in this service. I want to talk to you about just this last 20 minutes because we planned it this way. It's going to become incredibly messy in here. I want to ask you to do a couple things. If you come down for communion, would you just take the bread and dip it into the cup? And then you take and eat the bread with the, the, the wine on it. And they'll pronounce a blessing over you. They'll say, this is the, bread, the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This is the everlasting love of God given for you. This is Jesus' love to you. They'll pronounce a blessing on you. And then, and if you come down for that, and there'll be lines because it'll be kind of messy. Will you not start talking to anyone? Because this is going to be a spiritual, this is a spiritual place, a sacred place. And we believe that God is going to be speaking to you in powerful ways in the next 20 minutes. And then pastors and elders are going to be up front. And, you know, you can take communion first if you want. And then if you want to be prayed for, you can come just straight down and ask them to be prayed for. I mean, ask them to pray for you. And then if you come down, but again, would you have the courage then after you take communion or be prayed for to go back to your seat? And would you believe that God will speak to you in the next 20 minutes as Ethan sings over us for a while? And as you watch people being prayed for and God is doing the miraculous, would you believe that God still has things to say to you? And during that time, would you have that surrendered spirit and say, God, speak to me. Help me understand some things. You'll hear him affirm you. You'll hear him talk to you about his love. He might exhort you in some areas. But this next 20 minutes, it isn't just take communion and go walk out the doors. Or get prayed for healing and leave. We want to stay as God's family and God's people together. Because we believe that there is a work that God still wants to do. As we gather in community. Will you believe that together with us? So if you'd all stand. And those that are going to be giving communion. Would you go to the communion? And then for all the pastors. The elders. Leaders that are going to be prayed for healing. Would you come down in the front? So that you can see how it works. Here they are. They'll do it. And then together let's enjoy a time of ministry. So communion is on the far sides. You can go ahead and begin to move towards that. The pastors and elders will be down front. There'll be more of them coming down. And they'll pray for you. God, speak to us at this time. Minister to us. Let us hear your voice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and at your own time, move and take communion.